Hi, I'm Marion, and I'm a very, very grateful but yet still growing member of the Al-Anon family group in Cody. <coughs> I think it might be appropriate to give you a few statistics before I get too far here. Um, I'm five foot four. I weigh 120 pounds. I have four children, all grown, married, children of their own. I had those four children within seven years. And now I have seven grandchildren within four years. I'm sure that means something. I haven't figured out yet what. And as to my age, let it suffice to say that I am at that time of my life where my broad mind and my narrow waist are fighting to exchange places. <laughs> it's a few of you that took a little bit to get to it, huh? <laughs> About um, six months ago, right before Thanksgiving, as a matter of fact, um, and it was shortly after our last conference, a letter came, and um, it was from Kathy. And um, I, when it first came in the mail, I thought, "Isn't that neat? She's sending me a letter, and you know, she's special to me too." And then I opened it up and I read it, and uh, the only thing I could think of was my big mouth. You see, I've been going to Al-Anon saying to my fellow members, if you want to grow, you have to talk. And so when Kathy said, would you, I just couldn't say no. After all, if I wanted to grow, I had to talk, I guess. It just so happened that when I mentioned it to my husband that I had been asked to speak, he reminded me that we had another commitment for this weekend and um, so I said well I think maybe if it really comes right down to it you'll have to go there and I'll have to go here and he said I don't even know if I want to go with you and uh, I assured him that I was going to tell my story not his story Exactly 2,282 days ago, sobriety, sanity, and serenity knocked at our door. Sobriety has remained. Sanity has remained. Serenity, <laughs> once in a while, it's not quite as strong. But we do keep on trying, and that's really what counts. I heard somebody say one time that uh, the horns on the head of the AA exactly fit the holes in the head of an Al-Anon. <laughs> but I want you to know that um, in the practicing days, and I say this practicing for both of us, 
that we were known as the D&D couple. He got drunk, I got disorderly. <laughs> that wasn't too terribly hard to do. Uh, I finally figured out what alcoholism really, really means. Um, I knew about alcohol. I knew about uh, the alcoholic, but it took me a long time to figure out what alcoholism is. And the only thing that I can tell you for me is that ISM on alcoholism stands for, for me, I'm so miserable, and that's the way I used to live. I'm so miserable. Um, I had this really strong feeling that I couldn't feel any differently than everybody else around me. It was necessary for me always to check out how everybody else was really, really feeling, and then I could feel the same way, or so I thought. Um, I grew up with alcoholism from the day I was born. Neither of my parents were alcoholic, however, both of them had come from alcoholic homes, and therefore they were perfect candidates for Al-Anon. The two of them together made somewhat of a lethal combination. I never could figure out why my father did not accept me, nor my mother either. It took me until I got into this program to find out those things. They were both great people. However, my father was very, very firm and knew how to enforce what he had to say. Seldom did he ask. He simply said it and enforced it with physical violence. My mother totally ignored the whole thing, and that was the atmosphere that I grew up in. Very stern, not much fun at all. Um, as I got into my teens, I found out that there were fun things going on around me. And I participated. However, there always seemed to be that underlying kind of thing that said, danger is fun. And I remember going swimming in a quarry after dark with a bunch of my friends, and we just dove right in. And I hear today about the people that do that sort of thing and end up paraplegic, dead, whatever. Certainly there has always been someone in my life, and that is God as I choose to call him, my higher power who has taken care of me. I have the good fortune, I call it the good fortune because it certainly does help me to grow, of being able to volunteer my time 
at a at the chemical dependency center in Cody, and I bring the word of Al-Anon to the to the family members who come there. I had a very interesting experience one wintry day, really cold, and I went in wearing a bright red coat. And as I walked in the door, one of the people on staff said, that's a lovely red coat you're wearing, so nice and bright. And another staff member said, that's a fantastically good color on you. And a third member said, and it matches, goes so well with the plaid skirt that you're wearing. And a fourth one said, if you ever decide to get rid of that red coat, be sure, please, to remember me. I would be happy to take it. I hung my coat up on the hook, and when I got through and was ready to go home, I came back, took my coat off the hook, and there was a gentleman sitting at the admittance desk, and he was obviously well under the influence. And as I put my red coat on, he said to me, Gee, that's a beautiful green coat you're wearing. <laughs> We all laughed, just like you did. And I walked out the door, and I got into my car, and I started for home, still laughing, and all of a sudden it hit me. This was what my life was all about. I was seeing one thing which really wasn't what it was at all. Like this gentleman, I was wearing a red coat, but he was seeing it as green, and this had been my life all along. And so, I think many of us come into the Al-Anon program just that way. I never knew how I got tied into some of these things that happened. Um, I am not a native. None of us in my family are natives of Wyoming. We moved out here from the Midwest. And... Um, our recreation at that time was boating. And we would drive the hundred and some, two hundred miles, whatever it was, to the Mississippi River, and we would put our boat in, and we would take off for the weekend. Um, one day, one night, I should say, coming back, we were towing our boat, which, by the way, was a 22-foot cabin cruiser. I had my four kids sound asleep in the back seat of the car. And as we were traveling along on the interstate, the taillights of the vehicle ahead of us kept, looked to me anyway, like they kept on coming closer and closer. However, we were traveling at a rate of speed with no slacking down that was bringing us very close to that particular vehicle. Um, I glanced over and my spouse was sound asleep at the wheel. So I leaned over very carefully, grabbed the steering wheel very firmly whispered very quietly his name and he went ah! 
Pulled over on the side of the road, got out of the car and said, I will never drive home again. Boy, and that sounded great to me because for years I had been trying to convince him that I was in much better shape than he was to drive home. And here he was, volunteering. So I got behind the wheel and I drove home. Would you believe that in six weeks' time, or maybe less, that when it came time to go home from a weekend, that I was backing the car with the trailer into the water, loading up the boat, strapping down the boat, <laughs> loading up the kids, the whole nine yards, and driving the whole way home. And then it occurred to me, how did this happen? I'm not sure to this day, except that we were living with alcoholism. I um, go often, I go almost all of the time to district meetings that we have up in our neck of the woods. And um, for a time, the thing that I took, we always have carry-in dinners, the thing that I took was fudge. And everybody really enjoyed the fudge. One of the gentlemen attending at one of these went around the table several times, and his pockets were getting bigger and bigger. And finally, as I walked past him, he tapped me and said, You know, if I had this fudge to eat all the time, I would be totally serene. And I thought, wow, isn't that neat? Went home and I thought about that. And for me, my serenity fudge really comes out to be my way of life. Faith, understanding, detaching with love, gratitude and expectations faith for me was rather an elusive thing um, I knew that there was a God I knew we couldn't live in this beautiful world without there being someone who certainly had done all this my upbringing was such that my parents, <clears throat> excuse me, believed in a religious education for me, and they would take me to church, drop me off, and then go about their way and come back and pick me up when church was over. There didn't seem to be seemed to be something that wasn't quite right with that, even as a child. But that's the way it was, and so I grew up with the idea that God was up there but he was ready to strike me dead if I did the wrong thing. Never did see him as a friend. I never saw him as being kind or understanding. 
Today that has changed. That has changed tremendously. I hear people say that they have a picture in their mind of what the God of their understanding looks like. I can't conjure a picture up like that. What I see is a cupped hand with myself in it, and that's where I am. He carries me in the palm of his hand. And he certainly has done a very, very fabulous job of that. As I look back on my life, I see that he has been there right from the beginning. When I thought the danger was fun, he was the one that really kept an eye on me. Before we moved out here, we had snowmobiles. <clears throat> we used to go snowmobiling in the, the local golf course, and um, we had a friend so there were, that went, so there were always three of us. Naturally, guess who always got the slowest, oldest machine, right? Right. So anyway... <clears throat> one night after dark we were whipping through on the snowmobiles and the fellas took off and I was left way way behind so I thought well forget that one I'll just take a shortcut so I took a shortcut and all of a sudden, I went down, and I came up slightly airborne. I'd gone through a bunker. When I came down, I hit the second bunker, and boy, by this time, I'm really going, and I went sailing. Have you ever sailed in the air so long and so far that you've had time to think of your plan of action? <laughs> I did. I also had plenty of time to observe the tops of the trees before I ever came down. But when I did, I came down flat, solid, and kept on going. The next day, there were pictures in the newspaper of a snowmobile racing team that had practiced at the same place that we had snowmobiled they were only half as high as I was. <laughs> Thank you. Certainly I was not by myself. Certainly the God of my understanding was telling me what to do, how to do, where to do, and brought me back down. And that was fine. But I didn't recognize it then. When we moved out here to Wyoming, we also had snowmobiles. You see, I am an active person. <laughs> we were going through Yellowstone Park. And as we came up to a rise, my machine cut out. And so my husband said, go ahead and take mine and I will get you started and catch up with you. 
I said, fine, and I jumped on his machine. We were with a number of other people, and they were somewhat ahead of us. And I took off, and I went up the rise, and when I came down the rise, I came right into a herd of buffalo. I outran the buffalo. It's amazing what you can do when you have to, right? I'll also share with you that buffalo have been my favorite ever since. <laughs> they didn't charge me. They did a lot of snorting. And someone told us, after this was all done and over with, that when buffalo are kind of put into an uproar, that their tails go up straight. Pictures were taken. All the buffalo's tails were straight up. <laughs> Understanding. Understanding was a totally, totally difficult thing for me. I couldn't understand why. Going back to my higher power, I kept thinking all the time, why is he doing this to me? What have I done that is so, so bad that he will punish me this way? And then I got into this program and I discovered why the things had happened to me that had happened to me. You see, going back to my parents, my father was very, very upset that his firstborn was not a boy. In those days, that was totally unacceptable. And for weeks, he did not talk to my mother. No wonder she ignored me. <laughs> but you see, those were things that I didn't understand before. I didn't understand why I had to be doing things as a teenager that were exciting and dangerous. I know now. It was because I needed to have that balance in my life. It didn't make any difference that I it had been all one way for so many years and then totally another way for so many years. It just had to balance out. But I understand all that today. My father died some years ago, many, many years ago, as a matter of fact. Uh, my mother is still living. Maybe it will kind of help you to understand what she's like if I tell you that I got a Mother's Day card from her which said, Marion, happy Mother's Day. Your cousin died. <laughs> but that's okay. That's her. That's her. I can't make that any different. I can't make it any different that she has never yet to this day said, I love you. That's okay. I understand that now. Detach with love. That goes into that. You see, I can detach with love from my mother. I can detach with love from my father, even though he's been dead and gone these many years. I was horrified to find out 
after I had been in this program for several years that my father from his grave was still controlling me because I it was me that was going around saying oh my god what would my father think if he knew that I was doing this or what would my father say if he knew that I had said that and so I finally gained the growth to be able to detach from all that I spent many many days hours weeks with my grandmother she was the force in my life she was the steadying force the person that I could turn to and you see another thing that happened was that because of that I related grandmothers to grandchildren and somehow or another lost mother in between there so when my first daughter presented us with our first grandchildren and I'm saying grandchildren because first time around for us was a pair of twins maybe that's how I ended up getting seven and four years right at <laughs> a head start I could not even allow her the freedom to make a choice about what she was going to do with these babies after all I knew better I was grandma and it really upset me to think when I found out that that's what I was doing and I was not even allowing her to raise her children as she saw fit thank God I got over that I had five more after that I don't know what I'd be doing today raising seven grandchildren I have a lot to be grateful for on the days when serenity is not their full force I have to sit down and talk to myself and say hey kid you got a lot to be grateful for you're alive this morning everything is going good you're regardless of whether you think it is or not and it generally is you see there was a time in my life <coughs> when I didn't think it was going good enough to even stick around I had my plan of action all taken care of see I had been praying for a long time that well you have to understand one thing and that's that at the height of his career my spouse was the world's best driver and if you don't believe it you could have just asked him and he would have told you so I used to pace the floor at night and I used to think he's going to kill himself on the way home then I shifted to the next gear and said he's going to kill somebody else on the way home and then I shifted to the next gear and said I wish he'd kill himself on the way home <laughs> one of my good AA friends 
said to me one time, Marion, with your luck, it never would have happened. He'd have ended up a cripple, and you'd have taken care of him for the rest of your life. <laughs> That's probably just what would have happened. Be that as it may, along with all those wishes, I was saying prayers. Please, God, don't let him kill himself. Please, God, don't let him kill someone else. Please, God, do let him kill himself. And none of it worked. And so finally I said, please, God, take me. I didn't answer that prayer either. So I thought, well, he's not listening to me. I'll do it myself. But somehow or another, this devious illness started exhilarating, and I got too busy with all my worrying and controlling to be able to follow that plan through. But then, the insanity of it. When I finally determined that I couldn't handle it, when I finally determined that he wasn't going to be able to handle it much longer, I thought to myself, my God, if he quits drinking, we won't be able to go out and have a good time. And I fought with that for three months. I'm glad I'm getting my head straightened out. I didn't say that I've got it straightened out. I'm saying getting it straightened out. Expectations. That's one thing I still have to be very, very careful of. My expectations of me, my expectations of you, my expectations of the world. I think I lived for so long with the expectations of myself being perfect, being able to do everything, that this is why I'm having a hard time with it. Acceptance comes along with that too. Acceptance of my limitations. I have to realize that you and I do not walk in the same shoes. So therefore, what I expect of myself, I cannot expect of you, and vice versa. Gets me into trouble every once in a while. Expectations set me up for doing what I think I should be doing, need to be doing. Several years ago, I decided I was going to go back to school. Education was not a strong point in our household when I was a child. I had everything all set to go. I was all registered. I knew exactly where I was going, and I didn't really have very much time for you. You called, and I was too busy. You knocked on my door, and I was just walking out the door or whatever. Before my scheduled time to start, we decided to take a vacation. And we were going on the motorcycle. 
I don't drive a motorcycle. I ride a motorcycle. It's a good reason for that. We had a small bike one time, and um, my husband thought it'd be really neat. You know, I'd really enjoy riding this thing. And so I did. I got on, and he's saying, Cut down your speed! Cut down your speed! As I'm going around the curve to go over a bridge that is strong enough to carry a semi-truck over. I didn't cut down the speed. I just made that curve, and the bike slid out from underneath me. Never quit running. My leg was underneath it. I wiped out the posts on the bridge. So the restriction in our house is you don't drive. You can ride, but you don't drive. Anyway, we started out for the West Coast. 700 miles from home, we had an accident. It was a terribly, terribly hot day. And just about an hour before the accident occurred, we had stopped to have a can of pop. We were sitting on a picnic bench, and as I sat there drinking my pop, I happened to look down at the ground, and there was a penny. And I picked it up, and as I picked it up, I saw another one, and I picked it up. And I said to my husband, look what I found. He said, put those in your pocket. I said, oh, I intend to. He said, you ever notice what it says on a, on a coin? In God we trust. I put them in my pocket. After we had that accident, things were strewn all over the place. I had another experience at being airborne with that one, right off the bike, way over. It's amazing what an impact like that will do. But the pennies remained in my pocket. And they found them there when we got to the hospital. <clears throat> we had many and numerous broken bones. Some of you have heard this story. My jaw was broken for one thing, and I went around with my mouth wired up for seven weeks. Most comfortable time in the house my husband's ever had. <laughs> However, when the wires came out, I haven't quit talking since. It did give me a lot of time to meditate, to contemplate. Try it sometime. Go seven weeks without saying anything. One of the things that happened also in that accident was... Five impacted joint fractures in my little finger and my hand. It was a mess, but I didn't really think that it was going to cause me too much trouble. I was more concerned about my jaw. By the way, a broken jaw will accomplish another thing. I'll have to tell you ladies that if you're interested. You'll get a semi-facelift. 
So if you're interested. <laughs> You'll also get dimples. They won't come where you want them. They're way up here. <laughs> However, we came back home again. We had bones set, jaws wired, the whole nine yards. And I recovered, except for my hand. And my hand gave me a lot of trouble. I had no strength in it. I couldn't use it. And I thought, oh my word, I really need that hand. I kept going back to the doctor, bone specialist who couldn't seem to do too much for it. He sent me to someone else and on and on and on and I finally ended up back just a matter of miles away from where the accident had occurred to a clinic. When we were traveling out to that clinic, we were coming through and it was getting close to time for church. And as we came up to this small town in Montana, we checked the time and wondered if possibly there might not be a service about ready to start. So we decided to get off the interstate and go into town. And my husband said just before we got off, I wonder where the church is. And I said, it's right over there. And he said, sure, sure, sure. Every time you see a steeple with a cross on the top, you think that it's the church that we go to. We drove right down, and it was the church that we were looking for, and we were two minutes before time for service. It's an old church. Very comfortable, very warm. After going to this clinic, my hand started to improve, miraculously. And on the way back home again, I said I would like to stop and make a visit at the church. We did. And as I knelt there, I thanked God for giving me my hand back and offered it to him for anything that he would have me do. I was intent in my praying, and as I looked at the crucifix, the hand came down and extended itself to me. It was a very moving experience to me. I came home with a totally different attitude. When God directs me now, I do it. I don't ask God for specific things anymore. I simply say, please God, make me aware of what you would have me do. And he does. 
probably one of the most fantastic things, the most profound things that has happened through all this is that we have a little granddaughter, four years old, who has been diagnosed as severely hearing impaired. And as a result of this, she is learning sign language. But she doesn't learn sign language without our learning sign language. And I have found a real use for my hand in communicating with her. I have not been able to do that before. And in less than two months, she and I can communicate with one another just as I do with everyone else. It's a fantastic experience. I cannot turn my back when God says, you must do this. I do it. You have been a great group. I love you all. Thank you.